episode 24 of Major Revisions, a podcast by three early career ecologists. With us, as always, is Dr. Jeff Atkins of VCU, Dr. John Walter of UVA, and I'm Dr. Grace Wilkinson of ISU. How are y'all doing today? Good, Grace. How are you? Well, you're Dr. Grace Wilkinson every day, Grace. What? You're Dr. Grace Wilkinson every day. Yeah. Not just today. That's right. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It comes and goes. <laughs> I, I it's actually, been a long, this is sort long of a eternity. delay, but I, I only just started putting doctor as the prefix before my name on, like, you know, random forms and shit, because for a while I didn't know what to do with it, and now I'm kind of like, I want this. I want this That's recognition. Right. No, it's good. I I don't let people address me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I re- I redress them rudely. Um, not not actually. I don't really care. That sounds just like you, Jeff. <laughs> I actually prefer Frau Doctor Professor Grace. <laughs> That's what I make my students call me. Uh- <laughs> Doctor Grace Wilkinson, PhD. <laughs> so uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've been having a pretty long week, and it's only Tuesday. Yeah, straight. Yeah, preach, right? But uh, we are not having as bad of a week as the people in Texas or the people in Puerto Rico and Florida are about to have. So did you guys see this uh, newspaper article? I suppose the Washington Post is still a newspaper, right? I don't read it as a physical newspaper. Did you see this article posted on the web about uh, (laughs) how science labs have been impacted by these hurricanes? That we're in the midst of right now. I did see this because you shared it with us, but yeah, this is really, really excellent. I know there was a there was a push on Twitter um, of people offering up a lot of space to move, you know, equipment or samples or anything over to other places in the various in the South. But then I guess the caveat is since a lot of those offers came from Florida. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. So either. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's- um, that's definitely something I know in Florida they're hunkering down right now and getting people to do the same thing they did for Harvey, wrap up their instruments, move samples into cabinets up to higher shelving, things like that. Just try. Try to make it work. Yeah, but this is really cool. We'll put a link to this on the show notes for this. But, um, yeah, it's really a lot of support coming out from other labs kind of in the region to help. Um, labs, in particular in Houston and the Texas areas have been hit by this, which is, I mean, which sucks, right? Like, I mean, if you... There's some some experiments and some different things that you can't just shut down and leave. Um, so it's yeah, yeah. The the part that really stuck with me was that the um, other labs are offering that students, grad students, can come to their labs from Houston and continue their work. I, I hadn't even considered that as wow, yeah, these students are not even going to have facilities to be continuing pursuing their graduate degrees, but their resources as well as their funding is probably finite. They have to do that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know if there's anyone out there who needs any help. Feel free to reach out to me, and if I can't find you anything in Virginia, I can hopefully hook you up with someone 
who can. So That's if by right. chance you're listening to this podcast and we can help in any way, please email us at majorrevisionshow at gmail.com. If we can't help, we'll try to hook you up with someone who can. Absolutely. The Wilkinson Lab has lots of room. Get in touch. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I know there's still abandoned lab space at UVA. And so. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's it, one of those it things that like nobody still. reasonable would say no to. But it's drier than your current lab space. Absolutely. That well, just what a cool joke. thing! <laughs> what a cool thing to see the scientific community coming together and supporting our fellow yeah, scientists. Stronger together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, in addition to hurricane season being upon us school has started uh today or this week for lots of us in the u.s and so that means there are a whole new cohort of ecology and environmental sciences students starting grad school this week uh and others are just you know crawling out of the black hole of summer field work and are getting back to campus so it's in a new year a chance of fresh beginnings uh, and so in honor of that we've taken some time this week to reflect on the question what do I wish I had known when I started graduate school? And we're going to share our answers with you today. So Jeff uh, is the brainchild of this topic. So uh, Jeff, why don't you kick us off with the number one thing you wish you had known? Sure. So I got to thinking about this because I really started from the question of, you know, how do you, you know, after myself going through the graduate school process, like what would I say? to someone to help them kind of make the most out of the grad school experience in whatever way and um yes i guess i'm first on the docket but you guys have some really good ones as well i should say you folks i've been trying to do not say guys so much i'm trying to correct this this is the thing i'm working on this week but my first point that i came up with and this is something i've talked about on here before is the idea of making friends with the smart people and to me, this really starts out with this idea that the cohort you start out with, your peers or your lab group, I don't think you should think of them as competition, right? Like these, this is, it's going, it's your, well, now it's your current peer group, but also it's going to be your future peer group down the line, right? Like we all started out in a class, geez, like six or seven years ago now, and we started a podcast. Not saying that everyone's going to end up <laughs> that same exact path, but, you know, like, <laughs> It becomes, right, like it becomes kind of a larger network for you. And, you know, I don't like the term networking, really, but I do like the idea of building those relationships. And I think I choose the word smart people because you should really, you should really hang out with the people, one, who you get along with, but also people who challenge you. Um, You know, for some people, they get to grad school and they realize, oh, geez there's a lot of smart people here, right? Like, there's a lot of smart people. If you got into grad school, you're a smart person. Yeah. But you really need to kind of, you know, there are smart people who are going to bring you down and smart people who are going to lift you up. And so I think you need to find the people, you know, who really challenge you, but who also, you know, are friends and are peers, right? You know, it it becomes a positive feedback relationship. These are the people who you're going to kind of hang out with and who are going to challenge you and who kind of push you forward. You don't you don't want to be static. It's really about learning to learn and kind of growing. Um, Absolutely. I don't know. Well, but. 
So Jeff, I was going to ask, I mean, you're talking a lot about building relationships here that are meaningful, sort of beyond what, when I think of the term networking, it's very brief contact with some sort of goal or gain in mind in meeting that person. So you're really talking about building real relationships and not just a network. Right. Yeah, because like networking has this kind of sense of like hanging out in a Ramada ballroom somewhere and everyone (laughs) has like stick, you know, the sticker name tags. Hello, my name is. You know, Dr. Jeff Atkins, PhD. And those don't seem like real kind of things. I mean, you want the, the people who you can, you know, have a drink with and talk about whatever, but also talk about, um, I don't know, like there's this paper that came out in Nature Plants today about a, um, a global predictor of uh, GBP in different plants. Like, I want somebody who we can talk about this idea with, right? Like, really kind of push what you're thinking but also kind of push you into areas you're uncomfortable with, but also have that safe space to be in that uncomfortable area and to really challenge your own thoughts and beliefs. I mean, it's just kind of how science is made, I think. So Absolutely. You want to find the, the people who can push you into uncomfortable spaces whom you don't mind being there with. Yeah. It's a long way to get to that. And, and, and I think, you know, just to, you know, just to put this out there, um, it does have sort of like tangible career benefits, right? Like all of us have sort of in, you know, one way or another um, collaborated on stuff and, um, you know, we've all worked with other friends and um, lab mates or people who weren't uh, in our lab on, you know, on real science stuff. Um, And so it it does make a difference, not just for your, you know, mental health and enjoyment, but also for, um, the kind of work you do and, um, you know, helps you do better work and, um, and more diverse work. You know, I, I think our cohort, at least when we were in grad school, I think we really set ourselves apart. I'm just lauding ourselves and patting ourselves on the back here <laughs> in that there were several publications or near publications that came out from kind of cross-disciplinary, um, side projects that we all kind of pitched in and did with each other. Absolutely. I mean, I can think of like three or four just off the top of my head, and then a couple others that just fell short of really kind of coalescing, um, which was not something that I think had been as common in previous generations or cohorts, at least within the school that we attended. But it's become, I think, part of the culture, because I know there's a few people who came after us who've continued that tradition of, you know, like everyone has their dissertation, and that's your own project, and you need to own that. But you're also you're there with all these other people, you know, utilize that you all have strengths and you know why not make the best of it and do something else and you can kind of you know even if it's small like it's good so it comes out of that yeah absolutely and you know i think a lot of that came from the amount of time that we not only spent in classes and just socializing and whatnot together but just sitting around and talking about science and talking about life as an intermix. We spent some time all purposefully getting to know each other. And that really helped form those, those bonds and those relationships that led to collaboration. So, so John, what was, yeah. Yeah. So my, uh, my number one suggestion is to apply for everything feasible I mean, you know, small grants, big grants, awards, you know, travel grants, um, you know, if there's a, you know, a, a summer school or, um, you know, like J-term course or something like that, um, 
that uh, you know you want to take to learn a different school or a skill rather um, you know a- apply for all those kinds of things um, and there's a lot of reasons for that um, first just just simple like you can't win if you don't play the game um, and you know for you know hate it or don't but um, you know there's there's some aspect of you know playing the game and learning to play the game inherent in any career academia included um but i think that you know just beyond that there are a lot of tangible benefits um like figuring out how to deal with rejection um in ways that minimize emotional distress and um, when it's provided can help you better respond to constructive criticism um because you know, applying for things, um, you know, the risk to it is, you know, putting yourself out there, um, and putting your work out there in a way that, um, it invites judgment of other people. Um, and, and hopefully that's given in a, uh, constructive way, but, but not always. Um, but in this field, you deal with a lot of rejection. Um, yeah. Whew. And, you know, that's, I mean, we, we've talked about it in different ways before, but, you know, grant funding rates are astronomically low. Um, you know, lots of good papers get rejected for, from, you know, multiple journals before, you know, finding a home. And then you get to deal with rounds of re- revision. Um, so there's just a lot of you know a lot of that and and it, um you don't really want to become totally inured to it but you do want to learn strategies for you know coping with uh with that fact um and um you know responding positively um uh, and, and letting it improve your your work and you know your grantsmanship and stuff like that and and not letting it drag you down um you know and and there are a lot more awards and small grants and things like that that are available to grad students than they're going to be in the next stages of your career absolutely uh, and you know these small successes can build into bigger ones because a you get better at doing it from practice uh and b you know if you're applying for an award and they see that you've already gotten um you know a couple other ones even if they're small um as long as they're competitive that makes you look you know that much uh, better as a you know a young scientist and so that can, you know, add up and add up, you know, and, and, and that's kind of, I think everyone's or most people's story, right? Like few people jump out of the womb pulling down, you know, multi-million dollar <laughs> NIH grants, right? Like, you know, you start with, you know, a $500, uh, you know, exploratory research award um, that, you know, pays for some supplies that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have, you know, gotten otherwise. And, you you know, you build on that to, 
you know, maybe a fellowship or, um, you know, maybe a, you know, a slightly larger award that, you know, funds, you know, a whole, a whole summer, um, where you expand that exploratory work. Yeah, absolutely. Rarely has someone come out of the gate, like you said, just with these big million dollar ideas. There's a lot of back work to that and getting used to it at the beginning is that's really good advice, John. Yeah. Thanks. Grace, what do you think? So my number one point that I put down when I was thinking about this, like what I, what do I wish I had known about grad school or how to best be successful was that the point of a PhD and really any graduate education, but particularly the PhD is to learn how to teach yourself. So learn how to learn. Mm -hmm. That's a phrase that Jeff had, had just used previously. Um, and so I would sort of ergo, I'm going to make the assertion that classes are pretty much a waste of your time. They're the most (laughs) inefficient. Yeah. Unless you're taking my class, in which case, (laughs) Um, no, they're pretty much a waste of your time because they're not the most efficient way for you to learn. Um, at that level, you already have a lot of background information that you don't need to be getting in a classroom. That's redundant. And then the pieces of information that you're learning might not always be applicable to what you need right now. Although, you know, of course, there's definitely a really huge benefit to reading and thinking broadly and deeply. And so, you know, that's, there's some benefit to specific courses there, perhaps some, some courses where you're doing a lot of reading in areas that you're not as familiar with a group of smart people, like Jeff mentioned. Um, But in general and largely classes are a waste of time. So you need to A, not take a lot of them, resist the urge to sign up for every class, and uh, B, and I think this is something that Jeff is going to touch on a little bit more, your grades don't matter. Grades except, don't matter. Nope. And then C, the most important thing that you're doing, and the, really the reason why classes are a waste of time, is because they're getting in the way of what you really should be doing, which is research. <laughs> That's what you're there to do. That's why you're a scientist. You're not a professional student. You're becoming a professional scientist. Can I add a point one a yeah. to yours that I think may go along with that? Yeah. Because you do have to, I mean, you, since you have to take classes, um, make them work for you. And I think Great part point. of that is a lot of the, the science classes that you would take in graduate school will always almost have projects or papers that you have to do. Um, and supposedly they're probably related to your research, so try to shape your papers on things that can be background, you know, reading that can go into your... Uh, proposal or your dissertation or make projects try to get them as closely related as your own research as possible when you can do that it's not always possible but you can do that occasionally yeah i i think that i agree um i think that jeff i'm glad you raised that point grace i'm glad that you also raised the caveat that sometimes classes do help you think a little bit more broadly um or you know, can be an entry point to an area where you maybe don't have sort of the familiarity and the perspective on the field to do maybe as good a job um, just looking at at things on your own. Because um, I did find that to be the case uh, for some of my stuff, like some class projects um, kind of let me feel out some different ideas and, and vet them. Um that you know couldn't that plausibly could have influenced 
you know, my research, um, you know, led to a side project or, you know, some kind of spinoff. Um, and, and some, you know, some classes do that really well. Some classes do terribly at that and don't even try to fulfill yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, so talk to, you know, talk to people um, in the department before picking classes um, and, and find out, you know, if you're going to do something that's project based and interesting and whether you're where you're going to have some ownership and direction on what you're doing, um, where you can kind of feel out a, a field or a research project um, or if it's going to be, uh, you know, kind of. A more, a more standard course there's more hands-on stuff in in grad school probably than um as an undergrad uh but but there are still some courses that are um you know a lot of a fair amount of lecture and not a lot of really you know hands-on either with with you know doing small research projects or really you know digging into ideas in a in a deep way Absolutely. Although I'm going to ask John, would you say that the benefit of being in some of those courses, like, is it enough, good enough reason to sign up for extra courses? Oh, uh, or would you just seek out for the courses you have to take those opportunities? Oh yeah. I would not seek out extra courses. Maybe the one exception to that would be, uh, and this is something that Jeff, I think, will speak to more, is if it's a skills-based course and, mm. yeah. and, sure. and, and you are the kind of person who uh, maybe isn't that good at this stage in your career at, you know, sifting through a bunch of online help forums on, you know, how to code this particular analysis that, that you want to do, right? Like if... Um, you know, that can be, that can be daunting. You have to kind of learn a lingo, um, and stuff like that, which, which can really make it challenging if you don't have sufficient background in, um, you know, quantitative methods or coding or something like that to, to kind of teach yourself. That's the kind of thing where I think it could be worth it to sign up for an extra course, but not many. Sure. So I'm going to jump in on my number three then. My number three was uh, develop skills. And I think to that point, you're talking about extra courses. Like I took a class in Department of Computer Science that was absolutely invaluable to me because I didn't have any of that background coming in. And um, that was hugely, hugely helpful for me. Like I think you, you know, a lot of a PhD in particular is really theoretical, um, non-applied, and at times very esoteric. Um, but one thing I think you need to do is you need to develop those skills. And that's whether you get into academia or not, right? Like a lot of the things that, you know, that makes you successful in academia are a lot of soft skills, right? Including time management, project management skills, communication skills, presentation skills, ability to manage people. Like these aren't the things they teach you necessarily in grad school. And you're going to have to figure out how to get them on your own. A lot of times, you know, there are career centers at the university that offer um, workshops in these, or there will be some way that you can figure out how, you know, other ways to get to these skills. But that part may be difficult 
but I think it's necessary that you need to learn how to do that. So, I mean, I think there are kind of those soft skills, but also kind of like what John talked about as well, like analysis skills, coding skills, programming, whatever it is, you know, those are not necessarily going to be part of your program, but they're going to feed back and make your research better. Yeah. You need to figure out how to learn them. Yeah. Go to your library. Your library is an amazing place that has all sorts of courses like this. Go find your Mm -hmm. library early. Yeah, totally. Um, And also, like, the other thing, um, and this is really going to depend on your advisor, you also really need to work on your writing. Um, I know you're listening to this right now, and you're going, I'm a good writer. No, no, you're not. You're not. You need to work on that. (laughs) None of us are. (laughs) All right. Nope. You're not a good writer. Let me put it this way. I was an, like an award-winning writer in high school and college, and I was not a good scientific writer. Nope. And you know, you you can you can talk to you know any of my professors uh, in grad school, advisors. Uh, you know, when it comes down to actually putting in the time to write those manuscripts, it's it's a new it's a new thing even if you're really talented and it takes a huge amount of effort to learn oh yep. yeah it's it's something that you're going to work on every day for the rest I, of your life yeah i, I give a, a workshop called how to write a scientific paper and one of the points that I stress in it is after we've gone through every section and the different things that need to be there, like the knowledge gap and the introduction and things like that, then I go, okay, well, you're now you've written the paper. You're a third of the way done with actually publishing a paper. <laughs> and then we talk about lucky. all the rest of the shit. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a skill and you're really just going to be starting it. And you should just plan on just getting there. But also, I think, and I don't think you guys, let me make sure that I'm not throwing shade or stealing anyone's thunder. Um, yeah, really the idea of continually learning. Like Grace, you said, you know, learning to learn. Mm-hmm. But also realizing that, that it's, you know, cliched, but it is a journey. It's a long one. It'll be okay, but it's gonna be rough in a good way. Yeah, I would just jump just jump in and say that you know a lot of this like skill building, whether it's you know kind of hard skills, quote unquote, um, like the quoting or coding and you know programming type of stuff and stats, or if it's sort of the softer skills like project management and um, you know just communicating and working with people. Um, a lot of that stuff is not going to be formally taught to you. And so that's one of the big reasons why, you know, realizing that you're not there to get A's in, you know, four classes a semester anymore is so critical because you need to have time to learn those things on your own, you know, to screw up and get better at them um, and, you know, seek out people who do it better than you or have already done it, who you can learn from, um, and, you know, and, and that's, that's really the type of learning that grad school is all about. 
Absolutely. Always ask for help, too. There's always people who are willing to help, but you have to be able to ask for it. That's why you hang out with the smart people. Yep. True story. Hang out with smart people. Also, if you get those skills and you get halfway through your degree and you're like, this sucks, you're super marketable now. <laughs> you could do true. practically anything. Very so true. You can go out and get another job. Yep. That you know, you're playing B, C, D through G, etc. But to get halfway through a degree and you haven't done anything but go to classes, eh, gotta have skills. Yeah. John, I mean, what you got next? Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> so I was I was just gonna jump in. Like the skills that you need to be a really successful academic are not all that different from the skills that you need to be successful in a lot of other things. You know, the difference is that. You know, most academics know a lot about some really esoteric shit that a lot of the rest of the world doesn't care about. But you still have to have, you know, all these kinds of skills in, you know, some abundance in order to to be successful. Unless you're like the, you know, 0.001% of the, you know, 0.001% who's just that fucking brilliant that nobody can deny them. But that's probably not you, because you wouldn't bother to listen to this podcast if it were. Truth. So on that point, um, <laughs> no, no, I have, I have a hypothetical. I think we should follow up with on another show because this is totally tangential to this discussion. Do you think that old paradigm of the stodgy old esoteric professor is pretty much done? Yeah. Like, I mean, do you see that, like, in our, our generation? Like, do you see people who are, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s who are going to be that? Like, do you see those people being successful now and what there is in the world, how what it takes to get into academia, or am I just blind? I mean, I can't... <laughs> Grace is on the fence. <laughs> I, so I'm almost convinced, I, John. I can't speak as well for, you know, other fields, but I think that ecology has become so collaborative and um, kind of broad as a discipline that I think it's really really hard to be good if people don't like working with you I agree with that okay and, I just think you know I, in a world where all these papers have all these authors and it takes multiple people to get grants and it takes multiple skill sets to get anything really valuable accomplished, it just seems like that paradigm is just on its way out. That's true. When was the last time you saw a single authored paper in ecology? That wasn't a review. It's been a while. Yeah. Or that wasn't Hill. a first chapter of someone's dissertation. Yeah. So, all right, I might be convinced. Well, John, what was your number two point? Your number Um, two thing you wish you would have known. Yeah. So my inner, my number two is to interact in a professional capacity with people outside your lab group. Um, And and I was thinking initially here mostly like within your institution. So this goes along with um, the you know the suggestion of you know making friends. Um, so I'm just going to emphasize, like, you know, go, go beyond your, you know, your little circle and, you know, the easiest people, 
um, for you to get to know and to work with. Um, you know, for me, you know, I've mentioned this before, um, you know, I had a, a very small lab. I was my advisor's first PhD student and his primary responsibility was um, helping to run one of our field stations. And so uh, he wasn't around Charlottesville all the time. Um, so I had a lot of independence, um, but I realized that to kind of make that work for me, one of the things that I needed to do was to get, um, you know, support uh, from, you know, other, you know, other faculty to, you know, get to know other lab groups better. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's really easy. My situation kind of forced my hand but I think it benefited me a lot and it might not be as easy in other situations. Um, in addition to the stuff that I just mentioned, uh, our department culture at UVA was definitely open enough that it made doing those things easy. Um, but I've also seen other places that, you know, the culture was a little bit more, you know, closed where people mostly interacted with people in their lab and um, there weren't a lot of, you know, things built in to kind of bring them together into one place and so you might have to work a little bit harder for that but I think it has major benefits just in terms of um, building relationships with other people um, learning to think about slightly different problems um, or think using different methods about a similar problem depending on uh, you know how you uh who you get involved with. Absolutely. And, and I think uh, something that we both had down on our list, John, was that not only getting involved outside of your lab group at your institution, but also getting involved outside of your institution. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really important. Um, and I think you, you put it perfectly, John, when you said build a reputation for yourself. Not that kind of reputation, but the good kind, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> not the kind who you could always find at the bar at 2 a.m. at the conference. Um, although those people are fun, too. Um, yeah, so... Hey, what are you trying to say? Some suggestions, <laughs> some suggestions I had at that was get to a different research station. Your institution research station is probably awesome, and you're getting to know the people at your institution, but go try another one, too, if possible, if you have that luxury or ability, both in your graduate financial situation as well as your personal familial situation mm. um and oh my gosh join a scientific society and get involved get involved get involved in your scientific yeah. society early that's how yeah, you build particularly a lot of them the have like a lot of the scientific societies will have like student centered kind of sub groups or whatever you want to call them or early career groups definitely you know jump in with those that's a good entry point um, it would be, you know, surrounded by people in your same similar situation, so it would be kind of easier. I know there's a student section of ESA, and uh, there's a big student group for AGU as well. I don't know if Freshwater Society or Haslow or something has something similar, but I assume they do. We do. We have, yes, all sorts of student and early career-related things. So I think uh, that's become a much more common thing at societies. So there's mm -hmm. a place for you. 
um, and there's an opportunity to get involved in the leadership of those subgroups within the society, it's a great way to get your name out there and be interacting with people that you otherwise wouldn't interact with. And this is about building your reputation in the community. Really important. Yep. Um, another good way to do this is just to, you know, take advantage of collaborations that you have or that, you know, your um, PI might have or another faculty member that you're close with. Um, you know, talk to people when they come in for seminars and visit. Um, you know, most departments set up, uh, you know, lunches and stuff like that or times to meet uh, for graduate students and postdocs take advantage of those and use it as more than just a opportunity to get a free lunch, you know, come prepared <laughs> with a question or something that you are interested in talking mm-hmm. to that person about. Yeah. And one suggestion, if you're nervous about those one-on-one lunches or those one-on-one meetings or those lunches, that's a great suggestion, John. Um, a, you can probably sign up with another graduate student to take that one-on-one 30 minute time slot. If you want, if you're feeling nervous, but B, the visiting scientist is there to learn about what's going on at the institution and share their work, but also learn about yours. So it's a conversation. It's not like a 30-minute interview <laughs> that yeah, you're giving to really the person. Point. They're very cordial. Unless the person is, I don't know, not with the program, that it's going to be actually a really low-key <laughs> conversation. So I, I would definitely encourage you to do those. I shied away from them for my first few years, and now I kick myself. So... Yeah, you should definitely jump on those opportunities. They've always been really positive, I think, for me. Yeah. Um, whenever you can do lunches with someone or, you know, engage in outside the, you know, visiting speakers or scientists, totally. Um, I think another point is if you get an op- opportunity, you know, like you said, with collaborators, with your PI or whatnot, to go maybe to another lab, um, to another institution, maybe to learn a new method. Um, you know, we've a couple of uh, friends of mine have done that and have had really positive experiences. You know, maybe go for like a week or two. Um, share some time in another institution or lab, learn a new method or something, kind of benefit your own research. But you also, like, Grace, kind of, like, what you and John were talking about, get out and kind of see more of the world and kind of, like, similar to visiting another field station. Um, you know, take... Absolutely. You know, take those opportunities. Also, seek them out. So. Grace, you have another one on here. You're number two. is a really good one, but counterintuitive to a lot of other people's advice. Yeah, and so I used to give the advice that you should treat grad school like a job. But the more I've been thinking about this, I think that's wrong. You don't treat it like a job. Treat it like a career. And the reason I say that is because, at least to me, a job is something that you do for a set amount of time, for a set number of days, so let's say nine to five, five days a week. And your progress isn't necessarily measured or rewarded. Um, When you have a job and it's just a job, if you don't finish the work when the, you know, bell rings at the end of the day, then you just pick it up tomorrow. But what a career is, is the pursuit of a lifelong ambition or the general course or progression towards a lifelong goal. And I would say that scientific research is a career. You know, you have this this ambition, you have this goal. Um, it's something that you're passionate about and that excites you. So in other words, um, I would challenge students to think about grad school as a stepping stone towards that lifelong goal and not simply just the end you know, point that they're doing. I'm in grad school. This is what I do. No, I'm in grad school so that I can go do fill in the blank. And that's what's going to keep you motivated. And that's what when the, you know, bell rings at the end of the day at 5 p.m., that's maybe on those hard days what keeps you in the office 
working a little bit longer because it's that passion, it's that ambition. I don't know. Do you guys agree with that? Mostly. Um, okay. I, I, I think... <laughs> like, 95%. Um, I think part of the, the point that... Um, that this suggestions to treat it like a job are, you know, are, part of what that is trying to get at is, you know, A, you know, to be consistent. So if you show up, you know, from nine to five, say, if that's, you know, your cup of tea, um, Monday through Friday, you know, that might not always be enough to get it done, but there are also going to be, you know, slow times when, um, you know, being there, you know, nine to five is just kind of like helping to get you into the routine of like, you know, this is what I do. Um, and it also helps kind of create some, you know, semblance of boundaries. Um, I think that one of the things that really hurts people in grad school, um, in sort of like the, you know, mental and emotional side is that, there's almost always something that you can be doing that's work-related. And sometimes, you know, treating things sort of like a job and having a set time that you, you know, come to work every day and a set time that, you know, you leave, um, you know, with, with exceptions of sometimes you just have to work more than that to get the job done. um, I think that that can help, people of a different personality to, um, you know, to be able to, you know, to cool it and to, you know, to turn off when they need to. Mm. So I I think that there's just a balance between those two things. I do totally agree with you that you should be thinking of this like a career um, and that, um, you know, the real key in grad school is progress, you know. No one's coming in expecting you to know everything um, about, you know, your field and how to be a scientist. Um, but you're you you know you've got to be about learning every day and figuring out how to, um, you know, improve and, and work toward long-term goals. Yeah. No. And I think I agree with you there, John. That that sort of structure that a job gives thinking about it as a job can be very useful um, as well as maybe gets to another point that um, you're not a student anymore. You are a professional. You're a professional in training. Act like it. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's a really good point and I like the idea of thinking of it as a career and I think kind of what John is also talking about is that kind of work-life balance issue that we've talked about a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there are different there are different mindsets. There are going to be those people who really, you know, it is all consuming, and that's just what they want. And there, I think there are also other people. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm in this boat. Like I, I do. Like there are. I mean, I'm here at nine fifty three at night, recording a podcast with you guys. But I do that because it's something I want to do, and it's important to me as well. And you know, there are definitely been nights that I've worked to like four or five a.m. Um, but also, like I want to see my family too. And so it's important to kind of keep that balance and establish that. Because I also don't think we need to sell people on the myth that, you know, you have to work 20 hours a day. Um, It's just not, I 
think the life a lot of people want to live. And I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm not. Um, I'm just saying that the wrong mindset could take that down. Sure. Path. It's it's clearly like a balance issue, right? You, you know, keeping it as a career mindset that you're building on something moving forward. And I guess maybe what I'm saying is, and surprised that no one put this on there, but we also, I think, came at this from the idea of how to make the most out of grad school or what do you wish you didn't know. We didn't come at this from the standpoint of how to survive grad school, which is a different take. Because one of the ways to survive grad school is getting that work-life balance and doing self-care and taking care of that. Like, we're not, I think it's probably another episode, but we're definitely, I think, all on that same page of, you know, being able to survive it and take care of yourself. But part of this also, you know, no one mentioned learning to say no. And um, that's a conversation I know that we've all had like, off air about the idea of the no committee or, you know, learning, like establishing boundaries, you know, when to go home, uh, you know, when to say no to a project, uh, you know, whatever it is. But also, you know, Grace, like you point out, there are going to be sometimes, you know, when there's deadlines, there's deadlines and you have to do it and it's fine. So, right. It's not about putting yeah, in your hours. It's about having those hours be meaningful and doing something. Right, right. Like when you're you're there, when you're on the clock, be on the clock, be there. Um, and when you're away, try not to be there so much so that you can engage with the other people on the outside. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to throw the caveat in there because I think you make a really, really good point. Hey, along those lines, you talked about surviving grad school. I'll just give a plug. There's a good book, and it's pretty tongue in cheek. It's called "Surviving Your Stupid, Stupid Decision to Go to Graduate School." By Adam Rubin, and you should take a look at it. It's on Amazon. Okay. It's pretty good. Didn't Grace used to routinely send gifts from that um, website? Was it like a Tumblr of what should we call grad school? Yeah. Do you remember this? Yes. <laughs> those always make yeah. me laugh. <laughs> I'll find some of those, and we'll post those on uh, the, the website always. as well. It's still going strong, that, that Tumblr. Um, so I guess my next point kind of builds on that sort of, but also kind of invalidates what I just said, with the idea of being that, you know, the most important things, I think, are outside of the classroom. Um, And a couple points I want to make here is, you know, there's, of course, like the metaphysical stuff of what I was just talking about, about work-life balance, about your family, your friends, or your kids, or your dogs, or your cats, or whatever. Crucial to kind of surviving grad school. Um, But you also need to, and this is my point about grade schmates, right? Like, grades don't really matter, whatever. You know, I don't really remember, I mean, I remember my classes, right, but those aren't the highlights for me of grad school. Like, a lot of highlights were, you know, being in my office and, like, talking to somebody, you know, particularly, like, long conversations with Jenny and Matt um, while we're drawing stuff out on the whiteboard and trying to make different points and understand stuff and arguing and talking back and forth. Or, you know, having conversations um, with either of you during coffee breaks or during donuts or something, or, you know, when you're you know, after seminar, talking to the speakers or whatnot, it's like kind of all those conversations and all the stuff that kind of happens in and around the classes and then around the research, um, which I guess goes back to my other point about building relationships. And, you know, I think there's a lot of outside stuff that, like, say you go to a conference, maybe it's your first conference. And a lot of scientists are really shy. Maybe you're just really shy. Maybe you're really focused just on getting your poster or your talk just right. And you really kind of only focus like on that. You know, in that process, you lose 
kind of all this other stuff of getting to interact with the community and learn and meet people who really kind of challenge you and also you know, get you to think, but also just you can learn from, right? Like there's all these amazing people, you know, get out there, talk and interact, build those relationships, um, you know, kind of move outside that comfort zone, realize that there's a lot of this other stuff that's going to be really good. And, you know, I say that as someone who went to grad school with kids and, you know, I couldn't go out like, all the time or I couldn't hang out after seminar for like to nine or 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, that's difficult and you got to make space and figure out time to do that as well. But it's, it's an important thing. And I think it really contributes, you know, kind of your growth as a scientist, get outside that comfort zone. There's all this other stuff that's going to be really beneficial that I think you're going to miss out on if you don't take those opportunities. Yeah. You know, I agree. And, and one of those points that you made just a, a bit ago is about, you know, like drawing things out on the whiteboard and talking them out and whatnot. Um, some of my yeah. best conversations in grad school came the, the cabin that we stayed in at our field site in Ward Hall had this giant whiteboard. I think it was probably about eight or nine feet long by about six feet tall. Mm-hmm. And man, if you don't have a whiteboard, get yourself a whiteboard. You're going to do some great yep. science collaboratively on that thing. <laughs> get you a whiteboard. Or, or even better, you need a get yourself an old school chalkboard. <laughs> I, you know, I don't like the chalkboard as much. I find it so much more satisfying to write in chalk than those damn markers. <laughs> you know, actually, what I really like is drawing on windows. Mm. It's a very beautiful mind. I like it. (laughs) My window has an entire, like the outline and hypothesis of the paper that I'm working on right now, including all the figure references. Um, So far, my wife hasn't complained about this. I assume that she would not be totally pleased. But it's dry erase, so it'll come off. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever gotten carried away, though, and accidentally written on the wall? Like, I've done that a couple of times. I really like dry erase boards. Get you a dry erase board. That's right. Multiple colors. Um, oh, absolutely. And then John, the chalkboard. John, do you like those, like, the, the, dual, like, the dual chalkboards where you can, like, move them back and forth and there's, like, a chalkboard behind the other chalkboard and you can get all those? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about because they're in uh, Clark 107. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Whichever one. Uh... No, because I just find the moving parts confusing. All right, just just go straight up old school, flip it over if you must, but don't go with these sliding panels and shit. That's just just asking for trouble. Tactically, like the tactile sensation of chalk, I just don't find as pleasing as dry erase markers. That's just me. Yeah. Anyway, I teach with a chalkboard this semester, John. and I have not found it as satisfying as John's making it out to be. So. Alright, well, to each their own. I'm clearly the one living in the dark ages, because nobody installs chalkboards anymore. I got really enthusiastic in my first class. <laughs> I snapped the chalk in half as I was writing. Oh, that happens all the time to me. Oh, it's so frustrating. I was kind of nervous. Anyways. <laughs> you also, like, you, you can't wear black, like, right? Like, if you have black in there, you yeah. can get chalk dust, like, all over you. Yeah. Just saying. Dark ages, John. With the program, whatever. Agree to disagree. <laughs> so, 
did we have any other pieces of advice in our, our lists that we had made? Grace, can you do your last one? Because I think it's the best. Yes. Um, in the immortal words of my PhD advisor, the best piece of advice, stand and deliver, motherfucker. <laughs> and I won't give the scenario <laughs> under which this, piece, this, this phrase was said. But stand and deliver, motherfucker, is essentially a crude way of saying no one cares that you have a half of a draft of a manuscript written. Just do the damn thing. It's also a great a piece of advice about not being a perfectionist. It's never going to be perfect. Get it out there. Stand and deliver. Yeah. There, there is a great podcast I just started listening to today called The Effort Report, um, which is like Richard Pang from another podcast. He's from, and from John Hopkins. And um, Dr. Matt Suey, and I can't remember her first name. Right now off the top of my head. But it's really about being in academia and how to succeed. And there was a whole episode today on being the closer, how to mm. close the project. Kind of like you said, stand and deliver. And that's a skill. It really is. Like I find myself getting to the end of some projects that are really difficult to close out and just kind of getting lost with how to do that. So definitely an area that I know I need to work on of standing and delivering, motherfucker. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a good, it's a good point and it's, it's a skill to you know to close close out a project and also to know when a project's dead and when to close it and just walk away. <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah. Take it out to the back forty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you bring up a really good tension though between perfectionism and like not producing. Right. Like that. There, perfectionism is one reason that you can not finish something. But on sort of the other perspective is, like, the, you know, person who maybe is really good at coming up with ideas, but not really good at executing them, and, um, or maybe, you know, just doesn't like writing, or some, or, you know, or some aspect of the process, um, and, you know, just, like, you know, the need to be able to push things over that finish line, even if it's a provisional finish line, because uh, there's thousands of provisional finish lines in an academic career. Um, mm-hmm. s- sometimes in a single paper. <laughs> uh, true, true. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's really, really important that you, you know, that's on some level just have to produce. Um, and it, it doesn't need to be perfect production, but, uh, almost inevitably something is better than nothing yeah absolutely and you want to know that something will get out there into the world and get some critical review and some feedback but it will likely become a cv line and that's the thing that's actually going to move you on to that next stage yep stand and deliver motherfucker Is that actually the line in the movie Stand and Deliver? Because I've never seen the movie Stand and Deliver, and now I'm curious. That's possible. It is Samuel L. Jackson, so I'm going to go with probably yes. <laughs> I didn't know that was a. I didn't know that was a film. I just thought Mike Pace was a modern day Aesop. <laughs> <laughs> He's more like Aesop Rocky than he is anything else. <laughs> All right. We had so two other did... small things on here, but we can do those later. Grace, you, All right. do you want to do five questions, or did you have something else? Yeah, I, I, I do want to do five questions. All right, so if 
you've been yes. with us for a while, you know the five questions game. These are five rapid fire questions that one person asks the other two. And I have the five questions tonight. Are you all ready? Yes, for America's favorite game. Yes. yes. All right. John, what job would you be terrible at? Being Canadian. Jeff. Is that a, that's not a job. <laughs> <laughs> Don't question it. It's, it's, re, it's just it's rapid word association. Fire. Rapid fire. It's rapid fire. <laughs> Jeff, if you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with the extra time? Write more. I'm so behind. I'm so There's behind. that work-life balance. Yeah, that's what I want to do. John, what's the best single day on the calendar? Memorial Day? Why? Follow up. <laughs> yeah, I'm the only person who likes Memorial Day. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's a family reunion where I get to see all my cousins uh, who, are, uh, who are good friends and, and stuff. So I always enjoy it. Oh, that's sweet. It's like the unofficial start of summer. Yeah. yeah okay, Jeff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeff, what movie title yeah. best describes your life? Best describes my life. What movie title? What movie title? Um, Standing Towering Inferno. Towering Inferno. All right. Towering Inferno. I am and really now- tall. Like, if, if y'all don't know me. <laughs> so that's kind of like a... So you can interpret that as, like, my life is in shambles and everything's burning and falling apart. Or, like, I spit straight fire. Like, however you want to interpret that. Like, you could be right either way. So I think that's good. <laughs> All right. Now this is the question, final question for both of you. What would be your first okay. question after waking up from being cryogenically frozen for a hundred years? Is Trump dead yet? <laughs> Here's hoping. Jeff? All right. Where are the burritos at? And there we have it. <laughs> So I'm curious what music you uh, you all want me to use for this one, since I could not use Total Eclipse of the uh, Sun or, or Total Eclipse of the Heart mm. for the other one. But um, that'd be next week's questions. That's all right. So just got to be a stand and deliver reference of something I can look up. Excellent. So <laughs> this has been episode 24 of Major Revisions. If you want to hear more, check us out on the web at majorrevisionsshow.com you can find us on twitter at major underscore revisions that's been corrected on the website now you can also check us out on um, apple podcast google play and stitcher and always thank you for listening